you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 170th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we are going to continue the leadership conversation with Catherine Lazaruk. Catherine Lazaruk is a professional presence expert who helps women rapidly accelerate their progress towards senior leadership and in senior leadership. She is passionate about achieving gender parity in her lifetime and recognizing that we are currently in a shifting paradigm. She works within the system to change the system for individuals and teams alike to create a kinder, gentler, and more effective world. That almost sounds like utopia, Catherine. I'm loving it already. Very optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine holds degrees in voice performance and education, holds her second level international designation of certified image professionals with the Association of Image Consultants International and her professional code certification. All the letters. And her professional certified coach designation with the International Coach Federation. She has also been vice chair of the Women's Leadership Council Advisory Committee with the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade and served for six years as the secretary of the AICI Canada Chapter Board. She has been a member of the Nominations Committee for the YWCA, Vancouver Women of Distinction Awards, and currently serves on the Global DEI Committee for AICI. Catherine lives in Vancouver and spends her spare time singing with an 18-piece vintage jazz big band, writing and publishing books of long stories and short poems at katherinelazaruk.com and hanging out at concerts and movies with her husband and her wide circle of friends. She enjoys challenging conversations, is relentlessly curious, and can be slightly irreverent from time to time. I'm looking forward to an irreverent guest. That sounds lovely. Thank you so much. For joining us today, Catherine. My pleasure. I listened to all that and I'm like, wow, that sounds great. And I, then I think, ah, I should edit my bio. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is interesting. And I see that you live in Vancouver. I've been to Vancouver once and I thought it was one of the most pretty cities I've ever been to. It had flower pots everywhere. It was just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I'm in love with the city. I just came back from a work trip. I was in Punta Cana for a week for the AICI conference. And then I was in Cuba for a friend's wedding. The whole experience was very intense and traveling is great and you really see more of the world. And it gave me an even greater appreciation for how soft our lives are in North America. Everything is safe. Everything is clean. And in Vancouver in particular, it it is a lovely, lovely city. Yeah. I loved it when I was there. Come again. Now we know each other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I do, I'll for sure let you know. I noticed that your tagline on LinkedIn is working on gender parity one leader at a time. I'm definitely interested. Tell me some more about that. We're in a shifting leadership paradigm because the system that we had before is hierarchical, relies on authority, and is quite compartmentalized. And so people who were really successful in that paradigm, usually white males, now that we're shifting into this paradigm of integrated relational and whole leadership, I really have a lot of sympathy for people that were successful in the other system because the cognitive dissonance they must be experiencing now is extreme because now they're not successful. It's not working and they don't really know what to do. And when I think about gender parity, there's so much evidence now that diverse groups of leaders produce much better results for companies because of representation. 
So I'm really committed to getting women into senior leadership faster and also changing the sandbox because a lot of companies will say we want women to come and be in our leadership team. We want diverse groups to be in our leadership team, but they want all those people to conform to the way they've always done things. And now we're saying that doesn't work for us. We need to actually change the system so it works for more people more often. And that's the name of the game for me. I don't know if we will get to gender parity. I mean, it's really slow. Progress is slow, but it's still progress. I operate a little bit on that one starfish principle, right? It's like all the starfish on the beach and you walk down, you chuck one in and the person's like, oh, there's so many. How can you make a difference? It's like, well, I made a difference to that one. That's right. Absolutely right. What is the value of the work to the people who come to you for help? So people hire you as a coach, I'm assuming. What do they get? They generally hire me for coaching, consulting, and advising. So it's a little bit of the expert hat around professional presence and how to bring your whole self to work and to your life to make better decisions that are more aligned with who you are as a person and really to make the highest and best use of your skills and gifts. The long-term value that clients tell me that they get are things like rapid acceleration. Mm -hmm. For example, a client the other day and she said, oh, my VP was telling me that since I started working with you, my trajectory is like a hockey stick. It's just gone straight up. The other value that people talk about is aside from the rapid acceleration, which of course means financial empowerment for women, the compound interest on getting promoted quicker builds up over time. Those kinds of returns on investment are really helpful for people. Something that people tell me a lot is they say, I feel clearer about who I am and what I have to offer. And I feel better about expressing it in a more confident way. Often women don't advocate for themselves. If they do advocate too strongly, they're often penalized for it. So we're often finding that balance between too assertive and not assertive enough. The value that people get from working with me is a lifetime value. They look better, they feel better, they progress faster, and that's good for all of us. I love that. Women, as a general rule, have been taught to mold themselves into what the men around them want them to be. What Mm -hmm. you're talking about is helping a woman figure out who she is and what she wants and unapologetically bringing that self into the world. That sounds like it could only be good for Mm -hmm. her and the people around her. It's also really good for humanizing women so that we don't have to do the superwoman thing all the time. One of my clients is a great example. She owns a marketing and design firm. She is doing the marketing and design for a restoration company across Canada. And they had a big conference and she was presenting, but she has a newborn. This is a few years ago now. What we did was we actually found her slings that worked with the things that she was wearing. So she looked really great, but she's basically standing up and doing her whole presentation, wearing her baby. And she spoke to it right away. She said, I'm a woman. I have a baby. Deal with it. Here I am was very clear. And I'm like, okay, we need more of that on stage. We need more of that in the offices. Not to say that women should always have to go to work after they have children, but if they want to, women used to work with their children on their backs all the time. It's not a thing, not a big deal. The places where there isn't any maternal or parental leave, that's a problem. We could get into a whole side discussion about anti-hustle and the lack of supports for women in particular around parenting. However, I think the most important part of that was her showing up as a woman, as a mother, undeniable. She doesn't have to act like a man in order to survive anymore. And I also have to shout out all of the women upon whose shoulders I stand and you stand and we all stand because those women had to. They had to conform. They had to act more like men. They had to represent in a different way, but they have really blazed the trail. And now we have an opportunity to say, okay, that's what we used to do. Now we're doing something different but we would never say that and come from that position of privilege if all those women had not blazed that trail. So I think it's really important not to disregard or diminish the contributions of women in the past. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. 
You mentioned a new paradigm for leadership and changing the sandbox, and and you gave a little bit of information about that. Could you flesh that out a little bit more for what that actually looks like? Sure. I think what's happening now is people are saying, okay, we want you to bring your whole self to work. And then people show up as their whole selves and work goes, oh, not like that. It's too much. Too much. It's too messy. It's too whatever. What needs to happen is for companies to say, okay, we say we want this. We know that there are good benefits. What does our system need to look like in order to hold space for people to be their whole selves? What it looks like is when I say leadership now is more integrated, we're not relying on authority. We're not relying on hierarchy. We're relying much more on relational leadership and relationships. And we're relying a lot more on people really understanding themselves completely and deeply, and then seeking to understand others completely and deeply. And what that does is increase the trust bonds. It increases the quality of our communication. It increases the speed of our communication. It's more effective. And it also allows for us to make better, more aligned decisions for where a business is going, not just related only to bottom line. For example, I have a client who's in a financial services firm, one of the large ones in the world. They're having a big conversation right now about what are we measuring? Because if you're only measuring your partners, for example, on revenue generation, you're not measuring the right things. That used to be the way, but that used to be a way of operating where you had 10,000 new associates coming in and you could just turn through and they would work 80 hour weeks and basically burn them out. But the cost of that kind of approach, a more pure capitalist approach is off the books. The cost is burnout. The cost is mental illness. The cost is churn. Like there's a whole bunch of costs associated with that that people aren't looking at. Now in this new model of leadership, we're looking at all of the different dimensions that people bring and looking at how to create metrics, because of course, what is measured gets done. If you can't track it, it's hard to improve it. What are the metrics now? Like, how are we going to measure how somebody feels about the work that they're doing? And why is that important? In this new model, it's slower. It's more indirect in the way that we're approaching things. It's that thing about you want to go slow to go fast. And because the old system was really obsessed with efficiency and obsessed with productivity and obsessed with speed and obsessed with hustle, now people are like, hey, you know what? I actually don't just want the result. I want to enjoy the journey. And so the leaders that we're developing today need to be able to be comfortable with people processing emotion. They need to be comfortable with people coming from a different viewpoint. They need to be comfortable with people looking a little bit different in their workplace They need to have done enough work on themselves to be able to hold space for other people doing work on themselves. You can't just leave it at the door anymore. Used to be leave it at the door and what happens at home stays at home and what happens at work stays at work. It's not like that. Our lives are too intermingled now. Privacy is not the same. Everybody's going to be a different degree of introverted, extroverted, how much they want to share, how much they don't. And we still need to respect those boundaries. But as leaders, there needs to be a lot more room for humanity in the equation than there has been in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned feeling a little sad for the white males who are struggling in this new sandbox. And I could see that they probably feel disadvantaged in the way that we've been disadvantaged forever and ever, because now the change is in an area that's not their strong suit at all. That's right. We've never had to access that skill set. Right. So it's going to require a lot of change from them to be able to be successful in this new workspace where they didn't have to do anything to be successful before they just showed up and they were successful. Yeah. So 
I really like that. That brings me to think about whose responsibility is it for shaping and changing this system? Because I've always felt that the people with the privilege have to change the system. But why would they change it without some pressure to change from the disadvantaged group? What do you say about that? It's everyone's responsibility, first of all. But I think the responsibility looks different for different people in the mix. Mm -hmm. For example, people who are in the privileged position, just like the first world is in a privileged economic position relative to the global south, the people in a position of privilege need to say, okay, we have had it very, very good for a very long time. And how do we see that it is, is in our best interest to actually make these changes? And for some people, it's not in their best interest, or it's not in the collective best interest. It might be in their personal best interest, their personal wealth, their personal glory, their personal agenda. Part of the issue is our individualism has run rampant, right? It's gone so far off the chain into, I have rights, I have my way of being, I want to do what I want to do. We've forgotten entirely about the responsibility part and the responsibility to other people. We don't live in a vacuum. We don't live alone. Nobody does anything alone. Anyone who's like, I was a self-made person and I did it by, no, you didn't do it by yourself. Let's get serious. In the position of privilege, the responsibility is to say, what is enough for me, first of all? How do I contribute to the good of the world? Theoretically, high tide floats all boats, right? So if I have a lot of cash and I can actually contribute to the betterment of other people, then that's good. The coach that I'm working with right now, I really love his quote that he says, he says, it's irresponsible and unethical to consume wealth and joy and resources if you are not also generating wealth and joy and resources for others. I love that. His name is Alan Weiss. He's good. And it's kind of funny because he's an old white guy. (laughs) He's saucy, but he's he's relevant, right? He's continued to be relevant. In that position of privilege, it's up to them to work to continue to be relevant and work to continue to be in touch and be able to say, hey, you know, there's a responsibility that we have to the people that are coming up behind us. On the other side, the responsibility is the personal responsibility to say, okay, I see the system. I see that there are issues, but I'm not going to allow the issues in the system to stop me from advocating, to stop me from making progress, to stop me from standing up and saying, hey, I appreciate this is the way it's always been done, but it's not actually working for any of us, really. The world's on fire, not really working. So let's talk about how it needs to change in order to move forward. There's a dual-sided responsibility, and we are responsible to one another to be the best we can be and have it benefit us collectively, because right now it's not working so well. Yes, that's right. And I do know people who would argue with the high tide floats all boats, even though in their mind they think it, but they're also very individualistic. And it's like, I have to do what's best for me and my family, not my neighbor. It's a challenge to get that system to shift. With enough people, what you're saying is if we join together and we really challenge the status quo, change can be made and change is being made. Yeah. And I do have hope and I do think change is being made. And I particularly think that it's occurring quickly because of all the backlash, Mm. right? Yeah. Maybe that's good. That's how you know it's working. It's like, man, people are mad. Okay. Something's working. It's happening. Yeah. That's good. Uh I know you have this expression, you say that executive presence is dead. What exactly (laughs) does that mean? Well, listen, the books that are being written about executive presence in 2023 are the exact same books that were being written about executive presence in 2003. If you do a comparison of the literature that's out there, and it's all about conforming to this hetero, cis, hetero, patriarchal norm, white male thing about speaking low and slow, about taking a minute to pause before you say something. 
there's all these sort of gendered weird things that are in this idea of executive presence. Oh, you need to have gravitas in order to be taken seriously. And I'm like, okay, I don't agree because yes, in the current paradigm, that's what worked. That's what's worked for everybody for the last 20, 30, 40 years. In the new paradigm, people are looking for you to be real. The thing that really bugs me about when I say executive presence is dead, I'm like, we did that. We did that. It's dead. Now we need something different. We need to improve our relational skills. We need to improve our communication skills without that gendered lens on it. The people in leadership need to be looking for different things from the people that are talking to them. It's like, don't get distracted by the fact that that woman has vocal fry. Don't get distracted by the fact that that person's voice is pitched higher. That should not be the deciding criteria about whether or not you can listen to them. In terms of presence, you cannot be wholly present unless you are whole. By whole, I don't mean perfect because we're never perfect. We're, you know, we're always learning things. But considering all the aspects of who you are as a person and showing up with all of those gifts and skills and talents. Because otherwise, if people are putting on this, I have executive presence mask, then we're not really getting a person. We're just getting a bunch of clones who all have this similar executive presence. Right. And it looks different for each person, what their presence is. I have one client who is incredibly direct. And when we were talking about first, when she was pitching things to different levels of leadership, she'd get really caught up in the corporate speak of it. And then she just sounded super wishy-washy. And I'm like, well, what do you really want to say? She goes, well, I just want to say this. And I'm like, then just say that. It wasn't rude. It wasn't inappropriate. It was just very, I'm like, use your actual voice. Don't try to dress it up in what somebody else thinks sounds professional. It just doesn't sound like you. Is it possible that the reason we have the old executive presence is because that's what worked for the people who were in those positions? Not because it's the right thing, but it's just who they were. So they were able to just be themselves. They brought themselves wholly and fully. And that's what we got. But now we want new people to be in leadership roles and they have to do the same. You know, that book, Lean In, I never actually read it, but I went to a book club meeting where someone had read it and she was reviewing it. And I have no animus towards whoever wrote that book. But when I got the sense of the book, it was basically teaching women to be more like men in the workplace. And I thought, that's not what we need. We need softer, gentler, kinder, communicative, and emotion has a place in the workplace. It's just that they went with their strengths and it worked for them. We have to do the same with ours. We have to lead with our strengths and not try to be someone that we're not. And I saw the same thing when people of color started to be in positions of leadership. They were, yeah, we'll promote you, but you better start dressing like we do. You got to get rid of those dreads. Don't talk with that kind of an accent. Talk like us. They basically took people of color and turned them into white people in the workplace and said, oh, look at our statistics. We've hired all of these people of color, but they really didn't. AFCization of the world too. I can go to the Dominican Republic for a weekend and go to an all-inclusive resort and get KFC, but I can't go anywhere and find actual Dominican food. (laughs) It's that same kind of thing. It's like, we're going to whitewash all this stuff because we want to feel comfortable and safe. So we're just going to export our stuff everywhere we go so that we can travel, but not really travel. Yeah, exactly. We can have this business that looks diverse, but it's not really diverse because diversity is uncomfortable. You're going to be learning something new. You're going to be seeing that your way is not the only right way, that there are lots of different ways to get things done, that everybody's behavior makes sense to them. Yeah. What's the drivers? So it's really digging into what's underneath all of that and being willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah, super important. That is where the learning happens. You can't learn when you stay in that little box that you feel comfortable in. Right. 
can't. And you have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to be willing to look like a fool from time to time. And you have to be willing to seek to understand instead of judgment. That's right. Catherine, where do you go from here? What's next for you personally and professionally? Well, I'm working on the book, Whole Person, Whole Presence. So I have a publishing deal with Business Expert Press and it'll be out next year. So the spring next year. So if someone's interested in that, the best thing to do is to get on my newsletter list and then I'll be announcing that or follow me on social media as well. But the newsletter is generally where all that information comes out first. People can contact me through lazaretconsulting.com. I'm really excited about that. So my first draft is due in two weeks and that's maximum 60,000 words. So I have a lot of writing to do. And my yeah. writing has all been poetry and short form. So it's been a really interesting experience writing a longer book about the work that I do. So that's really fun. Personally, what's next for me, my husband's transition careers. So we're still, we're still kind of adjusting to that. And my practice is shifting a little bit. So what I'm learning is because it's important for me to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. What I learned about myself recently is that I'm pretty anti-hustle culture. <laughs> like, I really want to enjoy the journey. And my life is about beauty and joy and taking the winding road and doing some deep substantive work over time. So when I try to layer someone else's processes over top of that, like, oh, you know, this is how much you should charge and this is what you should be doing and this amount of time and go, 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 go. It doesn't work. It's not at all aligned with me. So I've been working on finding my level now with this work that I'm doing in a different way because over the pandemic and just over the last year, so I started getting pulled into more business stuff, which I can do. Like I can facilitate your work back planning session, but it's not really the best use of my gifts. (laughs) I'm much more interested in having the difficult conversation, much more interested in helping somebody express their true selves in a work setting, find their individual rights and their responsibilities and those things. In my business, I'm also working on this walk in the walk part. Like I really need to be aligned with who I am as a person. The biggest factor around that for people is overcoming the shame. And those feelings of shame of oh, I'm not a seven-figure babe or I'm not a whatever, I'm not an 80-hour workweek person. What I'm hoping is that eventually we'll look at people that were working 80-hour work weeks and going, what are you crazy? What's wrong with you? When I hear somebody say, oh, I was up at 6 a.m. and I work until 7 p.m. and I didn't have a break and I'm like, man, you have a bad case of internalized capitalism. That is not good. (laughs) I'd want to know, when did you pee? (laughs) When did you have a time to connect with somebody on a human level? Yeah. Where I'm going next is for me to be fully integrated myself on this new level that I'm working at, write my book and do some more art, do some more singing. I love that you sing with a jazz band. That was just a surprise. Everybody is multifaceted, but you're right. When you're on the hamster wheel, you don't have to do that. I'm doing something crazy this year. I have eight grandchildren and one of them asked me if I would crochet her a temperature blanket. And I'm like, well, I could do that. But it requires doing a row every day of finding out what is the temperature today. And then you change colors based on the temperature and you crochet this blanket. I'm actually enjoying it. I thought it would be a big problem to like take a break from work and just sit down and do this thing, but I'm liking it. And I'm saying, man, there is more to me than just doing the work. Even though I love the work, there's no problem. I could work from seven in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. I would have at least some break. I need to eat, I need to those kind of things, but I'm happy to do it because I love what I do, but I'm also rediscovering there's things that I love to do that I haven't done in a while like play the piano. I'm a piano player. I have a piano in my living room. I can't tell you the last time I played it until recently. I've started to play a little bit every day. So it's, that's been nice too. I love that you're doing that and it does soften the edges. Totally. We could all use a little softening of the edges. I agree. 
<laughs> Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell our audience about? I've been doing a series of short webinars. So again, on my newsletter list, I'll promote those short webinars on things like how to articulate your value really clearly in a way that feels authentic. Looking great on Zoom because of course we're three years in and still people don't know how to use the tools as effectively as they could. They're just like quick tips and tricks and things, little webinars that I've been doing. So if somebody's interested in some micro learning, you're welcome to come and check it out. Great. I'll put your website in the show notes. Thank you. I really appreciate you joining us today, Catherine. And I just want to really thank you because I know you're busy. You've got a 60,000 word book to write and you took time out to talk to me. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be continuing the conversation about leadership with Leslie Shreve. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.